Rejoice baseball fans because the offseason is almost over. Teams will report to camp next week, and that is sure to make a lot of you listeners happy. This is the StuPod, by the way, and I'm Chris Swick. And as you'll notice, Mike Oz is not here this week. He is out on vacation. But on the last episode of the StuPod, he and I talked about the offseason, and we tried to determine the winners of the offseason, and the team that we both came up with was the Arizona Diamondbacks. With that said, I decided that it might be a good use of time this week to talk to Mike Farron, the new pre- and post-game host for the Diamondbacks, about uh, the team's outlook for the 2016 season, whether he thinks they've done enough this offseason, and then towards the end of the interview, we talk nationally about uh, the qualifying offer, whether that's holding free agents down. So without further ado... Let's get on to the interview with Mike Farron, pre- and post-game host for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Welcome back to the Stew Pod. Joining me this week to talk about his new role with the Arizona Diamondbacks, it is the wonderful Mike Farron. Mike, how are you? I'm good, Swick. How are you? Very good. We should maybe... Uh, give some background. You and I have met. We know each other. Uh, <laughs> we you, have well, met. You can, I would uh, say we're friends. Yeah, you, I, I mean, I don't know how you feel. See, I thought we were friends. I didn't want to go too far with it. I was going to let you claim the parts you wanted. But uh, we are friends. We met when we both lived in Washington, D.C., or that area at least. And now I have been in Seattle for a little over a year, and you have found yourself uh, a new member of the West Coast. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's the mountain, the mountain, I'm in mountain range, standard time. How's that? There Year you go. round. Uh, For a little over a week. <laughs> yes, and you are the new pre and post game host for the Diamondbacks. Uh, and before I go even further, I should mention that we can follow you on Twitter at Mike underscore Farron. So I would recommend everyone do that. And you are also still doing stuff for Sirius XM, which is where you've been the last couple years. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, I'm still going to be doing uh, the Power Alley program I've done for the last four years. Been there for eight, almost nine. And um, I'll still be doing that three days a week. So if you followed Mike from Sirius, obviously you can continue listening to him there. And then you have this bonus Diamondback stuff going on. And Mike, I, I think I know this answer, but... In case the listeners are, are unaware, um, you know, what you're doing now with the Diamondbacks is maybe a little different, at least when you will be calling games, that's a little different. And so I'm a little curious about how long that's been a goal for you, because that wasn't something you were doing with Sirius. So I just want to talk about kind of how you got into that side. Yeah, I well, I I mean, that's been my dream, really, has been to call games. I mean, since I was probably realized I couldn't hit a fastball, which was I was probably 13 years old. So, um, you know, I, I, I love I love being at the ballpark. I love games. I mean, I've been really fortunate to do what I've done the last you know, eight and a half years and that I get to talk baseball every day. Uh, but for me, it's always been about being at the ballpark. And, you know, Sirius has afforded me some great opportunities, too. I mean, I've been able to call the Futures game for the last six years and done play-by-play of the Arizona Fall League and the Perfect Game All-American Classic for them. And so and I've had some opportunities with them. But to be associated with the team, to be on their broadcast, um, to be with an organization that I have a great deal of respect for, in part because they have such a tremendous commitment to the community here uh, in Phoenix, 
um, and it, which is a city that I love and have been trying to move to since probably before I realized I couldn't hit a fastball. Um, this is this is really a um, a terrific opportunity, very very exciting for me, um, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing what should be a really good team this year. Well, I tried to be complimentary to you in your intro, and that's because the day that you were announced by the Diamondbacks, Zach Greinke kind of stole your thunder a couple hours later. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure you got your due, but um, he did. He signed a couple hours after they had announced you as the new pre- and post-game guy, and I want to know if you had inside info or if you were just as shocked as everyone else about the Greinke signing. Yes, I was stunned. I mean, I think everybody was stunned maybe outside of um, like Derek Hall, uh, Ken Kendrick, uh, <laughs> Dejon Watson, David Stewart, and Tony Larissa. I think they were the only ones that knew, uh, maybe Brian Manitti, but they, very few knew what was going on. Um, and it happened so fast. Um, so to me, I think that that's, yeah, it was, it was surprising. It was stunning. Um, and it was a real, I mean, game changer for a team that's been trying to find a top of the rotation starter. Uh, to be able to go out on the market and add that guy, I mean, truly an ace-level pitcher, um, it was really, you know, I think it was a really big moment for the franchise. And I think that there's a chance that, you know, I, th- I think it really helped to set in motion a couple of other moves that put this team squarely in contention in the National League West. Yeah, and I think the Grinky thing is what really obviously caught the attention of the national audience. That's when suddenly people were saying, wait a minute. The Diamondbacks are, are going for it, and they supplemented that with the Shelby Miller trade, and they recently signed Tyler Clippard and traded for Gene Segura. I know you haven't been in Arizona all that long, but what's the general sense you're getting from people with the team and the fan base? I mean, tremendous amount of excitement. I mean, I think that's the, the, there's a buzz about the Diamondbacks for the first time. Um, in several years, and uh, you know, probably you know, from talking to some people who've been with the organization for a long time, you know, maybe back to when you know Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling. I mean, the, those players were acquired. I think when Randy w- w- was signed, that was kind of a big moment. Um, I mean, I think. Listen, I mean, that they, they, they took a team that I they were one of the best kept secrets in baseball. I think last year, I mean, it's it's going to come off as a homer now that I work for them. But they, really, I mean, they this is a team that. You know, they finished 79 and 83, but they were right around 500 for the entirety of the season. They played terrific defense and uh, had the second best offense in the National League. They had the best non-Colorado offense in the National League and played with a lot of energy and excitement. And we're the youngest team in the National League. And I think that's one of the things that gets lost in this a lot is that, you know, the players, with the exception of, you know, Granke, who is, has a long-term commitment at 32, but most of this core group of players are under the age of 30. In fact, every member of their projected everyday lineup is under the age of 30. Wellington Castillo is the oldest at 29. I, I think that that, to me, is the part that makes this so interesting is that this isn't, you know, I've heard a lot of, well, they won the winter and, so that means that they're not going to have success. You know what? The biggest difference to me between this team and a lot of the ones that made you know, significant moves over the last several years is that those were teams that had cores that were getting into their 30s. This team, the core is still very, very young. Uh, they have it together for at least three more years. And two of the three major players, or two of the four major players that they acquired this 
this winter are 25 and 26 years old. I mean, that to me, it, it fits in with that, that kind of timeline, that group. I, I think that this, this is, you know, this is the opening of a very, of a basically a three-year window with an effort to try and win the World Series. Yeah, and I think part of the reason maybe you feel a little better about the Diamondbacks is because, like you said, they won 79 games. I feel like last season, the big off-season winners were the White Sox and Padres, and they were coming from a much lower place. So the Diamondbacks already kind of fringe contenders last season, and suddenly the influx of talent comes in. I think I already know your answer to this, but have they done enough? Are they contenders right now? In the Absolutely, National yeah. Yeah, I think they are. I think they're very strong contenders in the National League. And, you know, the other thing, that Chris, that they add to that is that you have one of the, you know, three or five best players in baseball uh, in that lineup in Paul Goldschmidt. And that, you know, that makes a difference. I mean, talent makes a difference. You, two of the top 15 players, if not in baseball, in the league, certainly in Goldschmidt and Pollock. So I, I think that's the other thing is that you had a very high talent base that you're adding to to begin with. And so, you know, they were trending in the right direction anyway. And I think now they've, they've taken their talent to another level if, if everyone stays healthy. Um, and, you know, that's always the big if. This is a team that's going to be right there to the very end um, for both the wild card and the division. Yeah, I think you can look at what they've done and – who they've already had in place, and you definitely see there's a scenario where this team wins 85-86 games, and that squarely puts them in contention range, and you know the, the margin of error there, a couple wins, could, could break either way. Uh, but there's also there's still some questionable spots, and I think that can be said of almost every National League team, except, I don't know, maybe the Cubs. I mean, they're, they're pretty loaded. But... I, you know, there's also a scenario where maybe things don't work out and the team wins 78 games or 79 again. And so I'm wondering, who are some of the key players for you? Who are the guys that need to really take that step forward and, and contribute or just uh, play a bigger role than they did in seasons past? You know, I, I think the, the easiest place to look at is the middle infield. And, you know, whatever the combination ends up being between Owings, Segura, and Ahmed, yeah, they need more offensive production. I and mean, all three of those players were at least 30% below league average offensively last year. Now, Owings, um, you know, had had shoulder surgery a year ago and wasn't back to full strength. And there was, you know, I talked to a couple of scouts this week, um, even about Owings. She said, you know, we still really like him. You know, we think he's going to hit. Um, and so there's a lot to like with him. Obviously, Ahmed's a terrific defender. And then with Segura, you, you know, you're still basing it on one half season of, of success with Milwaukee. But, the tools are still there, and I think he got away from his game a little bit. I'm really interested to spend some time with Dave Magadan about Gene Segura and what he sees because you know, he went from being a guy that really drove the ball throughout the first half of his first season in the big leagues to a guy that was trying to be a leadoff hitter and slap the ball around the field. And if he gets back to being that guy – who can be, I mean, if you look at his numbers, and I know that most of it was based on the first half again in 2014, but he finished with 20 doubles, 10 triples, a dozen homers. I mean, that's 40-plus extra base hits out of a leadoff hitter. And now he's not going to walk a ton. We understand that. You know, maybe leadoff isn't the best spot for him, but there are the tools there for him to be a very, very good offensive player. So I, to me, I think it's whatever the combination is in the middle infield. And then health for Jake Lamb, who I, I think has got a chance to be a very solid regular. Um, you know, David Peralta is a little bit underrated. And all of this is, you know, takes pressure off of Yasmani Tomas, who's going to get the job in right field. And, 
you know, he had a really rough second half last year, and now it's going to be now we're going to find out who the he's had a full year of baseball again. He's had a full regular winter. I'm going to be really curious to see who Yasmani Tomas is over the course of this season. And I also feel like if you look at the rotation, there's there's some people maybe forgetting about Patrick Corbin and what he was able to do before the yeah. injury. And uh, was really good last year. I, I mean, overall, it was very good in the, the dozen starts that he made. I, Robbie Ray seemed to surprise a couple people last mm-hmm. year, and I know he's a guy who's been coveted by a couple teams. He's been traded here and there, and it seemed like finally things clicked a little bit for him. And Rubby De La Rosa remains kind of a guy I, I just find fascinating and always expect a breakout from. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's still 27, so not, you know, still within the range where he can improve. But I, I also feel like people are really forgetting about Archie Bradley, who may have been, I mean, he was everybody's sleeper last year, right, in, in the National League? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he was, I, you know, he was, uh, I don't know if he was a sleeper, but I think he was a candidate, certainly, um, for for the 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 Diamondbacks to, you know, to be a potential rookie of the year because of his stuff and because of his pedigree. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, he's an intriguing guy still, but they're not counting on him to be one of the guys. They're hopeful that he can help. And same with Braden Shipley. And, you know, those are the two, you know, kind of top pitching prospects that are left in the organization, you know, after the slew of trades over the last couple of years. Um, But both of them are close to the big leagues, and Archie has a little bit of big league time. And so there's no pressure on those guys necessarily if they do go to them. It would be interesting to see if they can be an upgrade over one of those spots. But, you know, again, I think you saw enough out of Robbie Ray last year that you feel pretty good about him in the rotation. And, I, I know he really struggled with lefties, which is so bizarre for De La Rosa because he's got this really electric changeup. But the Dodgers stacked lefties against him and had a ton of success. And if you take out the Dodgers in the equation, <laughs> he had a four ERA against the rest of the league. And so this is a guy, who, you know, he struggled statistically through 188 innings and still has the most electric stuff. Um, I, there's a feeling that he's ready for a breakout around just in what little I've been around the team so far. And I find that really interesting too, because I'm with you. I continue to be fascinated by him. I, I know that it's the, the cliche thing, but he's got great stuff. I mean, is, is that fair to say I watch him pitch and he throws oh, yeah. harder than you would think. And that changeup is really nice. And you just... I mean, I think he's got the best stuff on the staff and that, and that says something because Shelby Miller has tremendous stuff. Yeah. I mean, Miller, you know, we'll touch 97 and he's out of that cutter. And I think he's on the, uh, I think Miller has a chance to break out. You know, you forget about him, like for all the, the, the discussion of the trade and, and, you know, for Miller and certainly, you know, Arizona gave up a lot of talent to be able to get him. I mean, this guy was once the same quality of prospect that Dansby Swanson was, and he's gotten better. I mean, he was good as a rookie. He pitched okay in his second year in the big leagues. It's not like he, he completely, fell apart in his second season in St. Louis. And then last year, the only thing that was objectionable about him was his one loss record because the Braves were terrible. And because you know, Freddie Gonzalez admittedly tried to keep him in games at times to get him a win is kind of a reward. I, you, know, you and I, when we're evaluating players, we're not using win-loss records, but right. it still matters to players. They're just trying to keep him in there to help you maybe just get the offense to get him a run or something to reward him for the way he pitched. I mean, this guy didn't pitch like a 17 game loser last year, three ERA, you know, I mean, he, and, and he showed the ability to take his game to the next level. And I think that's what the Diamondbacks are making. Oh, and by the way, he's going to pitch at 25 this year. 
25. You know, I mean, this is this is what like you hope that Dansby Swanson has one season that's as good as what Shelby Miller's done for the first three of his career. Yeah, I think the the big thing with Miller is he's already shown the ability to adapt at the big league level, and that's something yep. a lot of guys struggle with. And one hundred percent, he's already shown that a little bit. So if if it bites back on him in the NL, he can do that again. Um, well, I guess he's been in the NL his whole career, so ig- ignore that part. But he can make adjustments. <laughs> yes, I, I think though the I think you fulfilled your Diamondbacks quota here. I I did want to talk nationally about a thing, and since you're still at Sirius XM, I feel like you're qualified to do that. So, oh gosh, what we've well, I think with the offseason kind of winding down, we still have the three guys on the market who declined qualifying offers earlier this year: Ian Desmond, Dexter Fowler, and now the other guy, Giovanni Gallardo. He almost escaped my my mind there. Uh, by the time this podcast comes out, that may change, but as of right now, those guys are still out there. And I, I'm wondering if you think this is something that hurts the game and whether you think that will wind up being changed, the, the qualifying offer process. Yeah, so, and, and I think Gallardo is going to sign with the Orioles. I think we've got a pretty good, good sense of that. And I'm really interested to see, especially since um, you know, the Ken Rosenthal saying that, that there's a chance that the Orioles are going to go after Dexter Fowler, too. Remember, they pulled that off uh, two years ago, right? Ubaldo Jimenez and no- Nelson Cruz at the last minute added those guys uh, as you got to spring training, oh, by the way, they ended up in the LCS. So, again, trying to win at the big league level, um, willing to sacrifice the draft picks of that. So, uh, I, I think, you know, I do think that it has had an impact on all three of those players. I don't think that you can say that it hasn't. Um, you know, I think the qualifying offer doesn't matter to the elite level. You know, it doesn't matter to Zach Greinke. You're going to sign Zach Greinke. It doesn't matter to the David Price. You're going to sign David Price. Even though it took so long to sign, it doesn't matter to Justin Upton. You know, Justin Upton's tw- going to play at 28 this year um, and is a premier power right-handed bat. But for these players who are more league average players, maybe coming off good years, or in the case of Gallardo, you know, he's been incredibly durable, but maybe has seen a decline in, the, in his stuff. Um, I think it does make it very difficult for them because teams really value those picks because because of the the reliance in part on analytics, and I'm not saying that this is a bad part of it, it's just the reality of it, that there is an addition, that, that there is a financial value to having that pick that a lot of times outweighs the overall value um, in terms of production that you're going to get from the major league player. And, and that becomes a very difficult proposition for teams to wrap their head around and I do think that's why you see teams that are a little bit more old school, like the Baltimore's, that are willing to go down that road to give up a pick to be able to add these players when the price drops. Basically, they're exploiting a market inefficiency, which is that teams that value draft picks and value players in part with, with dollar figures are not willing to take on the, these contracts by giving up a pick for what could be a player that would help them win this year. And the Orioles are more willing to do that. And they've had success with it, too. So I think that that's one of those kind of interesting aspects of this um, as you kind of look at it, you know, through that lens. Um, I don't know that the qualifying offer is necessarily good. I understand the intention of it. It's to try and help teams, especially small market ones, get some level of compensation for players that they cannot afford to re-sign in free agency. But at the same time, I think it probably has a bigger impact on not making free agents truly free. 
That said, their Players Association are the ones that negotiated this deal. And the Players Association is going to be looking for some level of concession. Here's what, what... what happens to the players in the last CBA, right? You get this qualifying offer, which ends up impacting players in ways that I don't think were necessarily intended at first. Maybe they saw this as being a possibility, but this wasn't the intent was to prevent guys from being able to sign because of the draft pick compensation. And, oh, yeah, in addition, they, for lack of a better term, sold the, the amateur players up the river by creating um, a, a, pool, a pool system um, that was going to limit the amount of money the teams could spend and also, as a, as a result, incentivize teams losing, not for the higher draft pick, but for the bigger money that's associated with, a, with being higher in the draft order and also being, um, you know, the worse the record, the more money you get internationally. So all of those things kind of have created a perfect storm that, to me, you know, if you're a team that's sitting in, let's use Tampa as an example, right, because we've heard them linked to Ian Desmond. Mm-hmm. Tampa, the lifeblood of that organization is drafting player development, right? And making smart trades for minor leaguers. Um, you lose the 13th pick. Not only do you lose that pick, but you use, lose the money that's associated with it. And that's even more important. And so that makes it much more difficult to be able to add significant talent of depth throughout the organization and makes it diff- more difficult for you to sign a guy like Ian Desmond, who probably helps you on the field this year if you're trying to win a championship. And so all of those things kind of work together. I don't think it's just a qualifying offer in and of itself. I think, as always, it's tied to the issues with the amateur draft. And I really hate the amateur draft system and what they've done to it. All right. Well, Mike, I think you've fulfilled your obligation to me and the listeners and to big leagues. Did I go on too long with that? Because it really, because, you know, that's one of my pet peeves. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. I appreciate it, and I hope the listeners will. And I hope, Me too. Hey, I, listener, thank you for listening. I hope that they've enjoyed listening to your lovely voice and will continue to do so when the season begins. Um, and they can do that by listening to the Diamondbacks radio, pre and post hey, game. And it, sometimes you'll call some games. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's all part of the D-backs evolution. Or yeah. at least in, in my case, it's the D-evolution. Yeah, that's, that's great branding there, though, that you worked <laughs> that in. Uh, thank you. And, and I will say, uh, maybe I'm biased, but I will definitely be listening uh, to you, and especially when you're calling games, I look forward to hearing that, and uh, to sending you some, some texts afterwards, probably mocking you. But I've, My guess is that you will probably be te- sending me texts in the middle that of the game, also in an effort to try and distract me. Also true. And so finally, if you like Mike, and you should, you should follow him on Twitter, Mike <laughs> underscore Farron, F-E-R-R-I-N. Mike, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, You know I appreciate it, and you know I'll be listening when you're uh, doing your thing this year. Chris, thanks so much for asking me, and I will see you down here in Arizona real soon. Sounds great. That's going to do it for the StuPod this week. If you enjoyed what you heard, and if you're a regular listener, feel free to rate and review us in iTunes. You can do that by just going... Uh, logging on to iTunes, putting in StuPod in the search bar, and then leaving us a hopefully five-star review. Uh, Mike will return next week, as will baseball players. So get excited. And again, thanks for listening to the StuPod.